All right, so we're uh, back for another rousing week of uh, episode number 31. So uh, how are you doing this week, Adam? Doing well. No complaints from my side of the the computer, internet, Wi-Fi line, whatever you want to call it. Oh, that's good. No complaints from the uh, other side of the screen. So uh, I saw you put something in uh, this outline for this week about uh, Raspberry Pi. What 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 is this B plus business? I'm 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 very perplexed. I, I I have to say I don't own Raspberry Pi. I've never tinkered with one, so this is all foreign for me. Do you know what they are? I, I guess I'd say I understand the concept of what they are in practice, but I haven't really ever. Um, I like I've never seen one. I've never held one. Um, I, I can't even say that I've ever even like Googled a picture of one. So yeah, edge edumacate me. A Raspberry Pi is just essentially a, a tiny little computer. Um, basically, it's all just packaged in one nice little compact, uh, I don't know, I guess just kind of like packaged. It's just like a, a little computer. It's got Ethernet, Wi-Fi, uh, USB, SD cards, and basically just it's a very configurable little computer that you can put in like anything. So a lot of people use them in like pinball machines or like retro arcade cabinets or people will set them up to like run their, you know, Christmas lights at, you know, the year. I know you're a fan of that. So um, they'll they'll use stuff like this. And it's basically just a, a computer that you can load up whatever operating system you want to, and they're highly configurable. Um, and they came out with a new model now. So they've had the Raspberry Pi, and they've had the Raspberry Pi Model B, and now they introduced a B Plus, which is an upgraded model. The, the other thing about Raspberry Pis is they're super cheap. So it's like $35 for the computer, or 65 I think, is when you get into the the pricey ones. But essentially, I, I put this in there because they just came out with this new model. And one of the things I've been looking at doing is uh, you heard that Nintendo released like the NES Classic and the SNES Classic, correct? You remember those? Yes, I did. So essentially what those are is just, you know, little emulators. And then, you know, Nintendo just has their ROMs that they put on it. And it just emulates, you know, what the Nintendo hardware did back in the day and what the Super Nintendo did. So I've been, you know running open emu on my machine for a long time, you know, running ROMs on it. And that's how I play all my, you know, nostalgic video games from back in the day. But the nice thing about the Raspberry Pi is like, okay, well, I'm playing all these on my computer, which, you know, it's really nice to play on a computer screen, but it's like, what if I want that old feel of like playing, you know, in front of a TV, right? So what the Raspberry Pi I thought about doing was like, okay, well, maybe I'll make, you know, a my own version of basically the mini SNES and the mini NES or the NES classic and the SNES classic. So uh, Raspberry Pi came out with, uh, you know, this new model and it's upgraded Wi-Fi, you know, uh, upgraded processor, a couple other things. So I was like, mm, okay, well maybe now it's time to do it. So put it in there and I'll probably, you know, get one of these at some point in time and load up what they call retro which is just basically a Raspberry Pi operating system, which is built for, kind of like a gaming interface. So it has a ROMs file, a folder, and basically you can, you know, upload to that. And that's where, it, you know, categorizes all the games and just feels much more like a game console. So I thought about doing that and just putting in a little case and all it needs is power and um, HDMI out and, you know, pairing a controller to it and then good to go. That's on my future to-do list. So question, do they sell... Um... Okay, so first of all, I should back up a little bit. They kind of look like an Arduino board, and I get the concept that it essentially is like a, um, you know, a small computer. Um, and that's, that's, 
that's awesome. I think it's really cool. Uh, I haven't tinkered with one of these. Um, obviously, you need to, you said you need to buy a case. So, do they just sell cases all over the internet, and you can find you know generic cases for these and and just snap it into them? Pretty much whatever you want. You know, they there are people that have like three D printout plans for looking like consoles or being like consoles. If you just search Raspberry Pi cases, there are tons of them. And then you just load your flavor of uh, Linux on this thing, or does it come preloaded, or, or how does that work? So you can load whatever you want on it. As far as what comes on it, I don't even know. I haven't really looked at the software side of things, but yeah, you can basically whatever put whatever you want on it and basically customize it to that application. And I think, you know, Arduino was a lot smaller, right, and a lot, lot more... Kind of like I don't know you had to you had to do a little more to get everything configured, and this one is basically just you know like pretty close to you know ready to run out of the box. You know once you put an operating system on it, it's a computer, right? You can plug a mouse and keyboard into it and do what you want to. Uh, and then it's just yeah, it has pinouts for you know attaching sensors or attaching you know controllers or servos or whatever you want to do. But as far as what comes on it, uh, not sure. I don't really think anything comes out. I'm looking at their website and it right, says that you should start out with the the noobs, which is the new out-of-box software operating system. <laughs> Very cool. Good acronym. It's really good. So, yeah, it is. Um, so that's cool. That's very cool. I, um, I, I've heard of this before in the sense that um, I was recently listening to an episode of, I think it was Canvas, if I recall correctly, from... Um, AFM about uh, using. Remember, because you listen to too many podcasts. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, for creating HomeKit cameras with uh, with these, and so essentially, like he had hooked them up and to a camera, and like installed, I think, Homebrew on it, and then basically turned it into a HomeKit camera. There's some, you know, essentially software, uh, you know, hacks to make it think it was, you know, HomeKit compatible, I think. And, um, but that's pretty cool. It's, uh, you know, he made like a camera for like 50 bucks instead of paying like the two or $300 it is for the average HomeKit camera probably. So that was, that was pretty cool. So with, uh, with, with that, you could do that on your, your Mac mini, right? Cause that's just called HomeBridge and HomeBridge basically just, yeah, emulates a device being a HomeKit compatible device. So one of the other things on my to-do list is to set up a, a Docker VM and just run Homebridge in that Docker VM and then have everything that's not HomeKit compliant, right? Like if you have any, you know, cameras that let's say work on like Z-Wave or something different, they don't aren't HomeKit compatible. You can basically, as long as you can interface with them in Homebridge, which Homebridge has basically these, I, I forget exactly what they call them, but they're essentially like devices that you configure and they have a different device for like every type of, you know, smart device out there, right? So if you have a Netgear camera, you know, so they'll have a, basically a configuration file for this Netgear camera and you put that into your homebrew installation and basically now that Netgear camera talks to this Docker VM or this, you know, Homebridge VM and then that communicates on your network to all the HomeKit devices. So boom, you have kind of a translation layer in between this little bridge to basically give you something that's now HomeKit compliant. So there are limitations to what you can do, but like I've thought about doing that too, right? Because you can buy like a really cheap camera system off of, you know, the internet for much less than you can to get like a HomeKit camera. And then all you have to do is plug that into the network and then, you know, set up HomeBridge and then configure that. And now, boom, you have HomeKit controlled cameras or HomeKit controlled lighting or HomeKit controlled locks or what have you. 
Yeah, that's definitely something that I, I would like to tinker with in free time. I guess I'll uh, throw that in OmniFocus and, you know, just say, save it for later, roll the dice on that and uh, see when it comes up as I need to take a look at that again. Roll the the dice in terms of like a due date or a defer date? Usually defer. So you're one of the people who defers everything? Yeah, I defer until it comes up and then I set a date. So it's a kind of a when it comes up, um, unless it's something that's like hard and fast due on every day, you know, or something like that, you know, if it's due on a certain day, it's due on a certain day. There's no getting around that. But, you know, a lot of times if it's just like a brain dump kind of thing, like, oh, I need to get this, this, and this done. No, I'm going to just defer, defer, defer. And when, when those things come up, I will go ahead and set the time to do those. Anyway, so we sh- we should uh, take a look at uh, the the next item here, which is uh, I guess something about Twitch. So you're, you're on your uh, clearly your gaming uh, thoughts. Uh, wh- what is uh, what's going on with uh, Twitch and Prime Games? So Twitch uh, was purchased by Amazon, man, a couple years back, and Amazon has slowly been kind of like extending some of the benefits. Uh, of their prime customers they kind of give them some you know little tidbits here and there for twitch so the last thing i think uh amazon prime members got who were also members of twitch was they were able to subscribe to whatever channel they wanted uh they could subscribe to one channel for free essentially so they wouldn't have to pay it was just part of their amazon subscription and they could you know change that up every month whatever they wanted to do so they're basically giving like giving you a, a free way to use your prime membership to subscribe to another person's Twitch channel. And uh, this last week they announced that now you can have games on prime. So what that means is basically like for the month of March, they announced all these games. And basically if you're a, a Twitch member and an Amazon prime subscriber, then you get to download and install and play these games for this month. So basically they're just like kind of giving you the games to play for the month. And then the next month they'll kind of you know switch it up a little bit and you get to choose from another selection of games. So essentially it's kind of like free games if you have an Amazon Prime subscription and you're a Twitch member. So uh, I just set this up today actually. So it was on my to-do list, you know, for for this weekend. And uh it had to be done in Windows, so I had to, you know, start up my good old Windows VM <laughs> and install Twitch. And I've been playing a couple games, you know, or I played a couple games today, so you know, it's kind of a, a cool new thing that, that Amazon brought to Twitch, just kind of keep the platform going. And I know you probably knew nothing about it, but hey, anyone out there who games and is an Amazon Prime subscriber, like set up a Twitch account if you don't already have one and hop onto Windows and start playing some free games. All right, that's cool. I mean, hey, I'm not going to complain with uh, the price of free. So uh, although I'm not an Amazon Prime subscriber, so for me, it's not really super useful. But hey, it, there are plenty 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 of people in the u.s that are amazon subscribers so for them i think this is uh worthy news so and the last thing you threw in here adam is that there's uh you wanted to talk about uh star wars episode eight last jedi available for purchase uh is this because i I assume it came out fairly recently and now it's like on itunes and everything or, or or what yep so it's available for digital download i think the the HD release isn't available until later. I'm not 100% certain on that, but yeah, it came out, I want to say, Monday or Tuesday, whenever new movies usually come out for the week. And that's one of the few movies that I will jump on and purchase like immediately. 
Um, I didn't pre-order because I don't know. Pre-order is always like, I just have always had fuzz, funny feelings about that. I don't like, you know, and I know it doesn't charge you. I don't know. It's some weird personal thing. I got to get over that. But I bought it, you know, the day of, and it's waiting to be watched. It's in the front of my TV app queue, and it's just sitting there taunting me. But one of these days I'll have to watch it, and I put it in here because it's just one more time I get to ridicule you for not having seen and been up to date with all of Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars. I I still haven't watched that, so I apologize. Hey, two months away, and then you have to watch one of them. So, speaking of which, it's like it's over halfway through the month. And have you watched your movie yet? I have not. I I do have plans to. Uh, I have it like set aside the day I'm doing it and everything. So, um, it it will be uh, taken care of. Let's just say that I have nothing. I have no idea what to expect this month. I mean, obviously, like it was like a thumbs sideways and then a thumbs up. So, you know, I don't know what to expect for this month. Like, are we going good or not? So we'll see. I have my prediction. Like, I, I, I think I know which way you're going to go, but I'm not, I'm just going to hold that judgment until obviously you watch the movie. But yeah, so, so this month you get to watch Batman, the 1989 Tim Burton one. So yep. let's have fun with that. I got, I got it down. It was my birthday present to me was you get to watch one of my favorite movies. <laughs> All right, so in a little bit of follow-up from last week uh, regarding uh, Terms of Service, uh, you put something in here about uh, LinkedIn uh, Terms of Service email. What's up with that? So it was just kind of a, a timely update here where, you know, we, we talked about Terms of Service and, you know, emailing your Terms of Service or getting PDFs or how we wish we'd live in a world where people would give you, like, the TLDR every time a TOS changed and. Lo and behold, LinkedIn, the other earlier in the week, they sent an email saying like, hey, updates to our privacy policy. And it had a little TLDR of, you know, what they were changing and why they were changing it. And then it linked you to the giant long legalese version where you could view whatever you wanted. And knowing LinkedIn and knowing the kind of company they are, I was like, okay, well, why do I still have a LinkedIn account? <laughs> and I, I don't know. It was just another, you know, kind of like I said, a can't blame me for asking that question. <laughs> yeah, right. And I was like, I don't know. I think I probably had it when I was, you know, like looking for jobs at some point or, and then I probably never updated it. And this is like one of the few emails they send me because it's mandatory. I'm unsubscribed from every imaginable like LinkedIn email, but this is the one that they have to send to everybody and they have to make sure I get it. So I don't know. Uh, like I said, it was just timely because we talked about, you know, wanting to be updated when things get updated. And this is just another example of in today's, you know, day and age, you know, this is how it gets to you instead of in the mail, it gets in the digital mail. Very true. It is. Uh, <laughs> it, I probably would try to unsubscribe from terms of service updates if I could, but um, there's probably a good reason not to. Um, sometimes there might actually be something useful in those, but it is nice that they, it, if they did summarize it, like it sounds like, you said they did. That's nice. At least you uh, you didn't have to read the entire thing. You just got the the delta. Well, that's if you trust their delta, right? Yeah, I guess that's true. I'm I'm hoping that you know the delta is actually the delta. They're not like sugarcoating that. But I guess every company has a valid reason to make even that sound like you know Marcom sound you know very fluffy. You know, it's, it's, they don't, they have a business interest. Yeah. I'm looking at the email right now and it's from the vice president of legal at LinkedIn. So 
but yeah, it's I got a bullet point list here, and there's one, two, three bullets, and the last bullet has two sub subtopics or sub bullets, whatever. And, and who is the vice president of LinkedIn's legal? Well, I don't know. You could probably find him on LinkedIn, but it's Sarah Harrington. Oh, thanks, Sarah. Thank you for your email this week. Yep, thank you. It's got tons of links to all the other things. Like, check out my blog post for full details. And I'm like, I don't want to like go into a blog post. <laughs> like favorite my blog post if you accept the new terms and conditions like mm, i don't think that's a legally binding action (laughs) yep nope i'm good thanks but no thanks so i I thought it would be important to kind of follow up to we we talked about consumption of information and i think one area we kind of um skipped over a little bit in in the area of text and articles was just um you know we, we talked a little bit about websites but you know, medium is something that has taken off, I think in the last couple of years and allows like sort of original content to be created. I'm curious, do you use medium at all, Adam, or have you ever even written anything on medium? As far as writing, I am, I'm very much a consumption person when it comes to, you know, blog posts, things like that. So I, I can tell you right away, I haven't written anything on, on medium, but I, I've looked at medium, I think a couple times, if I recall correctly, and I know I've, you know, followed links from other blog posts to Medium, so I know I've kind of stumbled upon it. But as far as something I use day to day, I think when it first came out, I used it for a little bit, and then I stopped because I was, you know, I'm used to my traditional RSS, and I'm used to this, and I'm used to that. So I didn't really see any any benefit to me at the time. But I know it's it's a growing kind of, you know, market. Or actually, I don't know, is it still growing? Because I actually haven't heard that much about it recently. So. Yeah, I, I kind of, I don't think I'm qualified to answer the is it growing question, but I would say that I think we're a little past posted on it in the sense that it's, um, it kind of bubbled up and got big and I, I don't hear it as much, hear about it as much anymore at least. And so I'm not 100% certain that they are still on the uptick. Um, I did hear a couple of years ago they were restructuring it or I think it was last year actually they were restructuring it and they're you know, kind of laying some people off and how are they monetizing and all that good jazz. Cause uh, clearly how do you, how do you make money on a platform that people essentially just post on? So that's a hard problem, but it is something that I, I do like the aesthetic of the app. And I, for a little while there, there were definitely some great content publishers there, but I think like anything, they are struggling to gain the critical mass to get enough people on it to, um, you know, produce content that it, you know, brings everybody to it. And, um, you know, I don't know that they'll ever get there, but it is something that I think is a big piece of the internet. And it has some of those nice bells and whistles you talked about, like, uh, you know, Instapaper tells you how long an article is to read and, um, and it's just, it's, um, content and the way it lays out articles is, is very nice. So I, I did think it was a important kind of, uh, I don't want to call it a pillar, but, a a uh, piece that we missed in the uh, text and article section. Yeah, I think, you know, this whole membership type of, of service, right? Because there have been a couple of things like this, right? What was the one? The daily was the other one, right? Wasn't that one that, like, you could sign up and you could pay or you could have a subscription to the daily and it would give you basically curated or, you know, top quality articles with no ads, no this and that. And that was their monetization monetization strategy, right? Like, Here's how you're going to make money. Here's how we can sustain having a beautiful, you know, pretty, you know, straightforward curated type feed is that, you know, we have people pay into, 
you know, the, the platform. Whereas, you know, with, with blogs, most blogs is like, Hey, the only way we're going to make money with this is if we, you know, put ads in, or if we, you know, put in like shady ads, or if we take sponsorships from, you know, other people and stuff like that. So I think it was, like you said, it's another way for people to offer up content, but in a way that they don't feel like they have to pander to anybody for lack of a better term. Right. But I think you compare medium, you can compare medium to a lot of other services out there and the whole subscription service and curated content is great if you know, you like what's on there. But I I think the beauty of, you know, the free press, so to speak, right. Or whatever is you can get everything usually for free and you don't have to, to hide behind paywalls. And most of the stuff in medium is not like news items, all a lot of opinion pieces and a lot of, you know, kind of timeless type content right so i can understand that but i don't know maybe it's something i'll look at again but that's another five dollars a month that has to go somewhere and rss is doing just fine for me now so for glad i'm not spending that five bucks and i i honestly can't blame you i don't think i would spend that five bucks either so i mean i'm, I'm looking at the members i'm like oh yeah i've you know read stuff from these people before like these names all look familiar and you know you, you can like get a little preview of of what they're writing and stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I, I guess, but <laughs> I mean, $5, like I won't even pay for a Hulu for, you know, TV entertainment. <laughs> I can't blame you. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I like it, but I, uh, there, there's just uh, that subscription fatigue, you know, it's like $5 here and $5 there and $10 here. And next thing you know, you're like, yeah, I really need to dump some of these services because I'm paying for 25 things. So that's uh, certainly something I I can relate to you with that way. I, just, I, I wouldn't give the $5 to Medium. You got money to throw at shorts, you can throw money at Medium. <laughs> Throwing money at shorts. Yep. Um, anyway, so let's talk a little bit about uh, this week's uh, episode uh, topic, which is uh, we're just calling it uh, DIY uh, or computer repair and uh, horror stories because uh, – well, let's just say there's probably a few stories or plenty of stories in, in our closets. And, um, you know, Adam, you're probably the king of uh, DIY solutions. So um, this this shot to be a fun one for you. But uh, I think we should start out with the uh, the oopsies because there's, there's plenty of those. So um, is there any notable oopsie stories that you would prefer to uh, talk about, Adam? So I'll say this is my track record isn't perfect for you know, repairing things, but I can say I've never had like a a true horror story. And I was hoping when, you know, we kind of pitched this topic that I was like, oh, someone would have it, you know, and I think Jim was still, you know, on the podcast when I actually wrote this one down. I'm like, maybe he's had like some DIY horror, you know, story. But I mean, I, I don't recall any like horrible, horrible, horrible things that have happened, but I have had my share of embarrassing type oopsies. And most of them have been the reason I had to repair something, you know, and it was kind of like, okay, well now I have to fix this because I broke it or I have to fix this because it had, you know, too many of a child's plaything shoved into the disc tray for, for, you know, two days. And now I need to fix that. So I think the, the, the biggest oops for me, the one that comes to mind right now is um, when my oldest daughter, I think she was maybe, maybe two, maybe three. And I had just gotten one of the new PlayStation 3 Slims. So they had just come out, right? And 
I had just gotten it and I had it for like a week. And, you know, we used to play like the Blu-rays and stuff through that. And I come home, you know, after work one day and I'm getting ready to play it and I go to put something in there and basically it's not inserting. I'm like, what the heck? Like, what is this? Come to find out that, you know, my daughter had shoved a bunch of her like play CDs into the disc tray and it wouldn't inject or eject. And those ones are the slot loading ones. So it's kind of like, oh, if that's broken, that's going to be kind of like a big pain in the butt. So I had to avoid the warranty on my, you know, three day old, you know, PlayStation Slim, PlayStation 3 Slim. So I think that's the biggest like oops. And it wasn't even my oops. It was just like, great. Now I have to take this thing apart. And I never intended to, you know, have to take it apart. Okay. Um, so I guess I would say mine is of the flavor of, I don't know that I had to repair this item, but, um, I was, you know, at one point in my life, a young one. And, uh, I, I had a curiosity for technology and, um, being a buddy decided to, oh, he didn't need his old computer anymore. So let's take it apart to just understand what the heck's inside of it. And I don't know. I think we were, I'm going to guess middle school ish. Um, and, no parents are home, but you know, uh, why not? We got the screwdrivers. And, um, so what we did is commence taking a part in the, uh, kitchen and, um, we, you know, got it down to major components. I'm going to call that. And then we went from there to, you know, smaller and smaller and smaller components. And, you and I have both worked in the tech repair scene at different times. And so, um, you know, you, you know, screw organization and screw bins are kind of, uh, an important thing. And at this point in our lives, we didn't have those. So <laughs> here are essentially little tiny, you know, two, three, five, ten millimeter screws just hanging around the, you know, granite countertop and, we got it all the way apart and we cleaned it up um, in the sense that like we, you know, put it all in a recycle bag and was ready to take it to the e-waste recycle. But we missed some screws and those screws happened to go down the disposal. <laughs> and let's just say his parents were not very pleased with us when they turned on the disposal the next time. And it sounded like the metal thing was grinding teeth through other metals. So yeah, that was, um, that was probably like a, the horror story. Um, we definitely got both scolded pretty good for that one. But, um, as far as like physical repair, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I've had any that have gone absolutely terribly wrong. You know, that I, that I can say that I, I regret doing. Gotcha. So I did remember another one and this one was kind of a little more recent and it was kind of in the same vein of, of yours where it's, I, I had my Mac Mini, and I think this is when I was going to put an SSD in it. And this is right after I bought my Mac Mini. So I bought my Mac Mini, and then I bought, you know, the SSD. And, you know, me being frugal, I just went and bought, you know, the cheapest SSD I could off of, you know, Amazon at the time. So I start taking the Mac Mini apart. I get it down to, you know, the drive, you know. And the new Mac Mini is, like, you had to loosen up some things. And, like, the way the hard drives kind of sat in there was it was always fun to to get them out. And... I got the old hard drive out. I, you know, put the the standoff screws in the new hard drive and put, you know, the cable on, put all the, you know, EMI shielding like wrap that they have on there and I go to put it back in and I can get it in. And once I plug, you know, the, the flex cable in, it just pops right back off. I'm like, what the, what the heck? So I plug it in, pops right back off. I plug it in. I start screwing things down. It pops right back off. 
So come to find out that the the height on the drive that I had, the SSD drive, it was a seven millimeter and I needed like a five or it was a nine, I needed a seven, whatever it was. So the SSD I got was too tall <laughs> to fit in the Mac mini case that I got. So that was kind of one of the things that was like, oh man, I should have paid more attention. I shouldn't have gone with like the cheapest ass like SSD that I could have gotten at the time. I should have actually like looked at it a little bit more, but I was just so excited to put an SSD in the Mac mini. So the next time I ordered an SSD, I made sure it was the right height. And sure enough, hey, it works just fine. But that was one of the times where you take everything apart and you go to put something new in. And it's like, this isn't working. It's not working. Why isn't it working? And then you start comparing things to the old things. And you're like, wait, oh, man, it's the wrong size. And then you have to, you know, like. One of these is not like the other. Yep, exactly. One of these things is too tall. <laughs> and then you have to kind of like swallow your pride and like take a big gulp and then reassemble this thing, which you don't even want to reassemble at this point, right? Because you're just putting all the old shitty parts back in it. And you're just like, Oh, this is crap. Oh, this sucks. Mosey back to the store or, uh, you know, back to Amazon's warehouse to get what you actually need. Oh, you know what? So what's really funny is I was like, okay, well now I have this SSD that I've taken out of the box and tried to put into something. So it's like, do I worry about packaging it all up? It's like, oh no, I have another Mac mini. I can just throw that in where, you know, the height will actually fit. So I'll just do that. So that went in my mom's Mac mini. <laughs> or I think it went into a laptop that we had. Yeah. So it went into like, a, I think one of the white MacBooks that we had. So it went in there and drove that for a long time. So kids had super fast, like, you know, computer for, <laughs> for their, you know, PBS kids or whatever they were, you know, doing at the time. And then after we decommissioned that one, I was like, okay, well, now I have another SSD, so let's see where this one's going to go. And you kind of do this big shuffle game whenever you decommission a computer. It's like, what usable parts can I scrap this thing for? How can I chop this, you know, this computer into a bunch of different pieces? So while we're on the subject of, like, uh, kids and destroying electronics, too, um, you you uh, were talking about how your, your daughters did the number on the PS3 Slim. Um, I definitely had a sort of terrible story when I was a young one where I took a, my, my, we were racing out to go somewhere and, and my parents had just bought this video camera and you know, it, it had like a, a bag with it because you know, cameras were not the size of cell phones. They were actually pretty big. And um, my parents were like, Hey, do me a favor, grab me a soda out of the whatever jumping in the car. And I just like, you know, the, the whole back of the car is loaded up. I don't remember where we were going, but we had like suitcases and, and stuff like that. So we were going somewhere decently far away. And I just tossed the soda in the camera bag thinking like, oh, okay, well, this will be like accessible. It's on the top of the, all the suitcases. And I am, I probably think like six or seven at this point. I'm not very old, but I'm old enough to understand, you know, grab, grab soda, you know? And, um, yeah, it uh, it totally got crushed, and the soda popped in the can and destroyed the camera. So that camera never worked again. It dried with like all this, you know, sugary soda on it, and nope, that camera was gone. Womp womp womp. Ouch! Like Lou, I told you to put it in the bag, not on top of the camera. But the camera's in the bag. I put the soda in the bag. Like those are things you can't help, man. Yeah, I mean, you you, you can kind of yell at your kid but at some point you're just like Ugh. it's not their fault like you can't be mad at them then you just like after you fix it you're like okay listen if you ever see this let's just make sure we don't get any fake cds near this thing or in the camera case let's make sure we don't get any soda next to this camera it's all learning 
Yep. It's, it's all, and, and at the end of the day, I mean, I don't want to say it's all just money. You're not going to, you can't take it with you. You know, I mean, I, I don't mean that to say like, just go spend it frivolously, but you know, eh. that's your lifestyle, man. <laughs> You're going to claim that's my lifestyle. And I, you just, you just, uh, you got kids. It's different. There are things that I, I don't necessarily throw money at, but it's money that I have to throw money at. And there are things that you just willingly throw money at just frivolously. So yeah, it is kind of frivolous spending, man. It's just money. My kids are just kids. I'm not going to say that, you know, it doesn't have the same, you know, same meaning. Okay. Uh, so in the subject of, um, oopsies, uh, electronics have, uh, batteries and, um, batteries are not very, uh, uh, well, I should say they can be safe to work around, but that doesn't mean they always are safe to work around. Um, so uh, have you ever had any sort of unsafe events around uh, batteries, Adam? I've never caused a thermal event on an electronic device. I may or may not have almost set fire to an old Volkswagen VW bus that was at my neighbor's that we were trying to fix, but that was just because we were, you know, basically running a jump starter. Yeah. <laughs> We're trying to jumpstart, you know, this old VW putting way too much amperage through these cables and way too much voltage through this battery to try to get this thing to turn over. And uh, some things started smoking, some wires that, you know, weren't meant to handle that much electricity. And uh, things started smoking and we quickly turned everything off and ran away from that car and never touched it again. But his dad was going to give us like, you know, a hundred bucks to get it off the property. So... If we got it to start, then it was going to be, you know, well worth it. So you're, you're smoking cables. You, you were like, there's this moment of realization where you're like, uh, it's no longer worth a hundred bucks and you run. Well, it's one of the things where, you know, it starts trying to turn over and you can hear you like, oh man, we're so close. And then you kind of look back and then there's smoke. And then you're like, oh shoot, <laughs> like disconnect everything, get everything away from it. And let's never, ever, ever try this again. But Oh man, that shagging wagon, man. I could have had a hundred dollars and a shagging wagon. It would have been perfect. My life would have been drastically different. <laughs> oh dear. Um, well, I can say thermal events wise, I've never caused a thermal event. Um, I, yeah, I, I've never caused a thermal event. I, I think I've been around, um, a battery when you know like the uh, like venting has occurred but i i don't know that i inherently have caused venting i've just been around other people when stuff's happened um i have been um uh electrocuted but that is uh something we'll talk about i think in a little bit um and w- what are your thoughts on uh ESD safety and and for those that don't know electrostatic discharge um you know uh is that something you uh readily partake in uh in protections or, or is that something you uh you uh, don't really believe in it so before before we kind of move on to that so with thermal events i i will say that at, at uh SDRC where i used to race the short course RC cars right it's an indoor track and those lipo batteries, you know, those are actually like very, very volatile. If you overcharge them or if you're... Yes, they are. <laughs> yeah. Or if your, you know, ESC isn't tuned to the right battery type or if you try to, you know, run past, you know, the low point, like 
there's all sorts of safeties with lipos right there's a bunch of cutoffs and there's a bunch of regulation when it comes to charging them like things get pretty kind of crazy, right? They, they beep really loudly at you, like the, uh, the chargers, if you don't take them off the chargers, like take this thing off the charger, take it off now. Like we don't, we don't want to do this anymore. So there, there have been thermal events that have happened on the racetrack, which you just hear a loud pop. And then, you know, one of the cars just starts profusely smoking <laughs> and someone has to run and throw this thing outside of the indoor track because otherwise it's just going to be filled with noxious fumes. And, you know, that's not good for anybody. So. I, I will say that I've I have witnessed a thermal event, um, not not on a lithium ion battery. I mean, I've watched them on YouTube when stu- people do stupid things and hey, let's bend this you know in half or let's poke this with a screwdriver or whatever. You know, I've seen stupid people do stupid things, but in an actual repair environment or you know an actual like service environment, I've never witnessed a thermal event. But yeah, it's it's fun to watch. I mean, the fires are very pretty colors, but just don't look directly into the flames and don't inhale. You know. Did you uh, see that video? I don't know. I hit the internet a couple of months ago. This um, this guy, he's in a repair shop, like a cell phone repair shop in like uh, somewhere, I think in like China. And he's um, repairing a battery on, I, I think it's an iPhone or, or something like that. And he takes the battery out. And for whatever stupid reason, I, 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 I hate to use that word, but uh, you know, this is just stupidity. He decides to essentially like bite the battery and he bites the battery with the customer, like right there in front of him. And there's some mention, I think in one of the articles I read that this is a way to test that it's like, um, not like a fake battery. Like, a, yeah, like not like a paperweight essentially, or, or like a lead weight or something like that. Like, but clearly he bites too hard. And starts to cause a thermal event and the whole thing like, you know, poofs, blows up in his face and, and the customer is right there and is like, what the heck, you know, and backs up and, and, you know, there's this nice like two or three foot, you know, uh, ball of smoke that goes up, you know, or, you know, puff of smoke. And it's, it's all like from a, from like a, you know, closed circuit TV camera that's like across the shop. So it's a, it's like, I mean, thankfully I think everybody was safe. I heard, but like, ugh you just like oh like why 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 is that a thing yeah cut your losses on the the fake batteries and just uh don't bite them yeah exactly i think there's probably a safer way to test that without biting it you know um like why don't you just plug it into like a little charging thing and see if there's any current going through it granted you know that's not necessarily a true test yes biting it would definitely tell you if it's a battery or not but i feel like you could be a little smarter about that and i feel like you know yeah, the 18 times that you do it and it works fine, you know, because it's a fake battery. Great. But the one time it doesn't, like, that's some serious harm coming to you. Hopefully that guy, you know, can't reproduce because, like, Darwinism, man. Like, It's like saying, I'm going to test all the guns with uh, by pointing them at me and pulling the trigger. They should all be empty. It's like, <laughs> Let's make sure all of these safeties work by pointing the gun, loaded gun at me and pulling the trigger. Nope, the safety works. Yep, this safety works too. That safety did not work. <laughs> exactly whoops uh cool uh but esd so electrostatic discharge um i mean i i can say in a professional environment yes i've always practiced you know esd uh safety i've always used grounded mats and grounded you know environments and made sure that i was you know wearing static proof clothing and all that kind of stuff when it comes to home when i first started doing repairs oh no i was on you know a carpet like I was on a carpet and I laid out a towel like to put all this stuff on, you know? So 
I was not ESC safe at all when it came to like first repairing stuff. I was on my shag carpet. I rubbed, you know, I was in my socks. On it. Yeah. I just played, you know, a shock fight with my friends, you know, like a couple minutes before, you know, it was a, it was really dry that day. <laughs> it was just, I don't know. Like I was, I got shocked on the doorknob walking into the room. Yeah. It, it, I, I never practiced it when I was, you know, first learning to repair things, but then I was a stupid kid and, you know, being a stupid kid is like, okay, well, if you had a problem after that, you just assume it's because you were a dumbass and moved on with your life. But I, I mean, I'll, I'll say this is that now that I've had, you know, my own homes with garages and areas to work on things like I've always thought about setting up a place that was like an ESD safe workstation and, you know, having a mat there and having a grounded, you know, plug in and doing things that way. So I have all the components on Amazon. I should actually post them in there. Like the ones that I'm looking at because you can get them for pretty cheap. It's, it's not, you know, a large expense to do it. And if you're working on computers a lot or any devices, you know, let's say for a hobbyist or, you know, even someone who's, doing this, you know, with their own devices, you know, just, and they repair a lot of them, it's worth doing because it's not that expensive. And just to make sure that you don't accidentally hurt something that you're trying to repair because the whole ESD thing, right? Like you can't see it, you know, but it happens. And if it does, then you short out a component and then things don't work the right, the right way. So I I don't practice it to the T, but I'm much more conscious about it now um, that I'm older and that I've, you know, kind of learned more in my journey of life. So what about you? Yeah, I, I think we are pretty similar in this way. I mean, when yes, when I was young, I did absolutely none of this. I mean, I, I don't even think the idea of ESD crossed my mind at, at that age. Um, but, you know, as I got older and more uh, educated and, and just um, are smarter, I still don't really practice it at home. Granted, the computer landscape has also changed a lot. Like I, I used to need to open, you know, at least my, my personal computer and, and some stuff, you know, at least I would say, I don't know, once a year do something, you know, whether it was just like swap out a hard drive or, you know, uh, maybe I was upgrading some memory or something, but it just isn't a thing that much anymore. Um, but even when I do open something now, it's just, I'm just smarter about it. I know what calculated, um, things cause DSD a little better. And so I'm just, uh, I take the precautions to make sure I can eliminate everything I can that might cause any ESD damage. And, um, at least for now, the rest of it, I just push forward for cross my fingers and hope for the best. You know, what's funny is most companies, you know, that will give you instructions on how to open things. They don't even require that you have all the fancy equipment, right? And if you come from a professional repair back background, you you know, like, oh, all this stuff, you know, I have all this stuff. It's great. I can test if I'm grounded. I can make sure that everything's there. But most of the time, like, they're like, eh, if you're opening your computer and you're not touching any of the real sensitive parts, like, don't be dumb. Don't touch things, right? And just ground yourself beforehand, right? So most people will, you know, touch something metal to make sure that they discharge any just electricity that's stored up, you know, in them at the time. And they'll, they'll ground themselves naturally and just kind of start working on the computer. And you know, it's it's one of the things where how which company was it? Was it was it Apple that used to include like the ESD of wrist straps basically with like um memory kits and upgrade kits and stuff like that? They used to include like just like a a cheap like one time use type uh, ESD band. Yep. Yeah, they totally did that with those one time uh wristbands. Yeah. So like you said, I mean in the in today's landscape it's much more like kind of laissez faire. It was like, eh, hands off, you know, like 
watch out for this, but if you open, you know, something anyway, it's, you void the warranty, you know, so just don't open it. <laughs> yeah, the void if uh, <laughs> removed stickers. Yeah, so on the on the PS3, it was like this one screw. So you could take all these screws off, and there was one that was hidden under this cap. And after you remove this cap, there's a sticker that says, if you remove this screw, it voids the warranty for this product. And you're like, well, I guess, you know, there's no other way to get this thing off. And what's really funny is, like, you can go find those stickers on, like, eBay, you know? <laughs> so you can just take the sticker off and put a new one on. Yeah, it's fine. I, I just remember they're always on, like, hard drives. You always see them on hard drives. You know what I mean? Like, you buy, like, a desktop drive from, like, G Technology or whatever, and, you know, there's always that one screw that's covered with, you know, void if, or, you know, removed, and so you screw through it and whatever. But they've been smart enough to, you know, sort of get their own stickers printed. But, I'm, I mean, even that, like, I'm pretty sure you could find a way around it if you needed to. <laughs> if you needed to. We're not encouraging fraud. We're just saying that if you want to commit fraud, there are ways to do it. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, uh, EST, it's uh, something I guess we both semi-practice. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I believe it exists. <laughs> but Yeah, we, we should both state that. I, I definitely believe it exists, but uh, I don't, I, I'm not the best at practicing it. I was going to make a really religious joke there, but I decided that was too low. I shouldn't do that. <laughs> now you're just going to leave the entire audience on a cliffhanger. Yep, Good job. Exactly. Like, I'm sure you can put two and two together, right? You know, how we believe it exists, but we're not, you know, actively practicing or <laughs> whatever USA is like. I'll just say this. Like, I believe it, but like, I'm not going to church every Sunday. You know, that's how I feel with ESD. You know, ESD, like, it's, it's there, right? But like... I'm not going to church, you know, every Sunday to, you know, worship ESD. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'll move on. Move on. Move on. This is a, there's no way to get out of that hole. This is a deep and dark rabbit hole. Um, so, uh, personal injury. I think it's something we should talk a little bit about. So, uh, I, I mean, a lot of these electronic pieces we work on are either, you know, very small inside. There's sharp pointy things there's metal there's glass there's all sorts of things that are let's just say not very uh, nice to us and they on top of all that there's electricity running through them so uh what sort of uh you know horror stories do you have in this area so as far as physical injury goes the the most i've ever gotten out of this is this cuts like i have cut myself you know more times than i can count on just reaching into electronics, you know, reaching around components, whatever. And this was much more when I was like building my own computers and, you know, you have these brand new cases and brand new components and, you know, they're fresh out of the box and fresh off the assembly line. And dude, those things are sharp, man. Like you're trying to, you know, reach around to pull a cable around something and you slip a little bit and then slice, there goes, you know, your finger and you don't want to get blood on your new computer. You know, I mean, I guess that makes it yours at that point. Right. So if, you know, anyone murdered you, you know, they'd be able to go back and trace DNA back to the computer or stole your computer. You know, you prove it was yours in some sense. Um, all right. So quick sidebar. When, uh, when I was younger, uh, I, I mentioned that I had like a truck, right. And it had, you know, just manual windows and my CD player got stolen a number of times. So the first time my CD player got stolen, I remember the, the window was broken. So they broke the window, the, the driver's side window, I believe to get into the car. And then, they got into the car, they took my backpack, which had all my school books in it, and they took my CD player. And then what was really funny is I had like a pay stub that was, you know, just 
in my in my car, like in the glove compartment. And it was, you know, just like the the records portion, right? Not the actual like check. But they had like taken that and opened it. And they must have like cut their hand when they broke into the car because there was blood on it. And I remember when I called the police and I was like, hey, look, he bled on this envelope. Can you do some CSI shit and find out like who it is? Like, you know, do you guys want this? Like, I don't need it. Like, you guys can have it. You can take it back to the lab and do what you want. Like, you know, thinking everything was like CSI Vegas, you know, right? Where they just go and like analyze all of, you know, the stuff. And if someone leaves, you know, a straight fingernail at a crime scene, it means like they get caught after the, you know, 45 minutes of, you know, runtime on that TV show episode. But like I said, I, I've I've cut myself and I bled on a lot of things, and I was really sad that the police, you know, didn't take this evidence to go find the person who stole my two hundred dollar CD player and broke my you know one hundred twenty five dollar window, but and stole my books. Which was funny is like the books that I had bought for college were probably worth more than both of those things combined in terms of what I paid for them. I don't know if they're worth that, but I had to pay probably as much as getting the stereo and the window repaired just for the books that they took. Yeah, but you you were way more concerned about the stereo and the window. I'm oh sure. yeah, dude, I couldn't care less about the I could care yeah, I couldn't care less about the books, right? Like screw the books, whatever. But my CD player's gone and now my window, you know, I had to drive home in that car and it was like 2 in the morning and it was freezing cold and I couldn't roll up the window cuz the window's gone. You know? Ah, oh, so sad. But um no, I I've cut myself on, you know, computers enough times, but I I've never shocked myself. Like, knock on wood, right? You know, uh, never shocked myself and never done anything too crazy. I haven't, like, lost any limbs. I do have a story about my dad who, he, my dad's gotten into some gnarly injuries or got into some gnarly injuries when he would fix, like, cars and stuff. And um, I'll tell you I'll tell you the one that I remember. Like, I was a kid. I was maybe, like, six, seven, eight, you know, around that. And, you know, it's, like, 7.30, you know, I'm up in the house, you know, watching TV after, you know, dinner or something like that. And then my dad kind of like hobbles up, you know, into the house from out of the garage and just sits down. He's just like in, in so much pain. Like he's, you know, like moaning and like just groaning, like, Oh, it hurts. It hurts. And come to find out that, uh, he was working on one of the dune buggies that we had and he was like doing a throttle adjustment or something like that. Or he was standing in front of the buggy and he had started it and he had started, you know, kind of, uh, revving it with the gas, you know, just to, you know, make sure that carburetor was clean or whatever was he was doing at the time. But the thing was in gear. <laughs> so as he pushes on the gas, the buggy, you know, kind of lurches forward and it's on a trailer. So it pins him up against the back of the buggy and breaks, I think, two or three of his ribs. So my dad broke a couple of ribs Yikes. working on a buggy. That hurts. Yeah. So. I can say, like, my physical injury is like, you know, oh, I cut my finger on this computer. It hurts so much. My dad, you know, would laugh at me and say, like, uh, you're such a wuss. Get over it. Next thing, when you break a rib, you know, call me. Yeah, that's that's next level. Um, I guess I can say, so I have been cut. And I think that just comes with the nature of if you've opened anything electronic before. I've been cut by glass. I've been cut by metal. I've been cut by, you know, all of it. Um, and I've bled, I've bled multiple times. That's just part of it. Um, nothing super severe. I mean, you know, cuts that last, you know, a couple of days and they heal up and they're fine. Um, the, the one thing I have done is I've, um, I have been shocked. Um, I, I was working on something and, um, the long story short was, uh, the, 
the machine was not supposed to be plugged in and, and, um, and all of a sudden, you know, I, I hear a sound coming from, uh, you know, what, what I thought was, um, the, the computer itself. So I'm kind of investigating as to where, where, where's the sound coming from. And, um, cause the machine was open and, and here I go, I kind of like get closer to it and boom, it arcs right to uh, my ear. And, uh, <laughs> so I got, I got a good little, uh, zap from that and, um, yep, that, uh, that was a uh, power supply that was going to need to uh, be replaced for sure. Wait, so, so um, <laughs> you hear this noise, you're like, let me get closer to this thing to see where it's coming from. <laughs> well, yeah, the, here's the, here's the weird part, you know, so it wasn't the typical like hum. It was um, sort of, I mean, if, if you're in the tech world, you know what a failing hard drive sounds like. It, it started to sound like that. And, um, I was like, wait a minute, is that a hard drive failing? Like, and so I was kind of perplexed. So I kind of leaned a little closer and, um, I was still perplexed as to why the computer was even making the sound too, because I thought in the rice crispy snap crackle pop noises. Yeah. I was like, is this like build up electricity? What's going on here? I'm super confused. And so I just leaned a little closer and sure enough, I got close enough. Boom. Like it was, you know, probably like three or four inches. So right in the ear. Oh, you have right on, right on the left ear, so uh, that that woke me up pretty good. But uh, yeah, it is what it is. It, it's part of it. It comes with it too. It's um, it wasn't the uh, absolute end of the world. It was uh, you know just something you don't want to feel if you can avoid it. Step one: unplug the computer. Step two: make sure the computer is unplugged. <laughs> Step three: wait the allotted amount of time before working on the computer. You know, it's funny that because electric shock, right? Like I've been shocked by um, things that aren't computers, right? Like I've shocked myself on um, car batteries. Uh, it's funny with the first wedding ring I had, I actually, uh, it was very cheap, you know, cause we were very frugal and we were young and, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So I'm sure it was, you know, some metal coated plated thing, but I actually was working on a car and arced it against a battery terminal and it took like a chunk out of the ring. So I was like, well, not wearing that anymore. So after that, I started wearing ceramic rings, which are actually really cool. Um, I know you've seen it because I, I think I wore it around the w- when we worked together, right? And uh, they have ceramic ones, which are really lightweight and they're non-conductive. So a lot of electricians and stuff uh, wear those. So I'll throw a link to those in the show notes as well. But um, what's funny is we have it really easy, right? When we talk about like electric shock from you know the devices these days, because it's not as bad as it used to be. Like anyone who had to work on like, you know, old school televisions or, you know, CRT monitors, stuff like that. Like those are the things that would, uh, that would put you on your ass. Yeah, no, I definitely didn't have to do anything at least too, uh, crazy in that area. I, I, I don't, and I don't really ever want to do anything <laughs> in that area. So that's something that, uh, I'm, I'm, I guess I could say I'm a little afraid of. I would, I would very cautiously well, uh, work on any of those uh, sort of high risk, I'm going to call them, you know, electrical components. It's like that fear of the unknown, right? Like you've never had to, to really work on them, right? Like I've never, I've never had to take this apart or I've never practiced proper safety when taking this apart. But then when you hear about like, oh yeah, this would kill you. Like, wait, what? I, I've never thought I would die from like repairing a computer, but sure enough that could happen. I mean, I don't know. It's the same with like uh, electricians, right? Like, Electricity is one of those scary things because you can't see it, right? <laughs> you know, threats that you can't see are always sometimes the scariest. So 
Always sometimes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Adam. That's a good job. Uh, the ones you can't see, like Unseen Threats are the scarier ones for me. So, I don't know, props to electricians for being able to go towards something and say, like, yeah, this is cool, like, I'm fine. Or I'm like, uh, I don't want to touch it. Make sure it's off. Make sure everything's off. Get my little tester out and make sure it doesn't beep when I, you know, point it at the thing. And all right, now I, now I feel like I can work on things. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> just just take safety precautions. It's it's probably the easiest uh, you know rule of thumb. So I I think we're we're probably both guilty of this at, at different points in time. Um, I don't know about you, but you know there was definitely times when I was younger and I was frugal and and I didn't have a tool set that like I do today, where I have you know like torque screws and and you know every imaginable you know. Phillips and flathead size that I could probably need to work on any sort of electronics. But, um, you were just kind of like going through mom and pops, you know, uh, tool chest hoping for the best. And, uh, you definitely had the wrong tool for the job. And, um, so I'm sure you've been in this, um, this position, Adam, but the good news is like a lot of that's changed. Like you can get tools really easily today online, you know, even if they are sometimes, specialized tools you usually can find stuff it's just uh you know finding it and getting it shipped to you yeah there's no such thing as the wrong tool for the job it's just tools that will make the job much harder to accomplish you can have tools that will make it really easy to accomplish i mean if those are the quote-unquote right tools but i don't feel like there's a wrong tool for the job like if you can get it done get it done right but it just may be more difficult well the the wrong tool to for the job breaks the job. Well, not necessarily. Not in every right. scenario. There are ways you can take something apart without the right tool. I remember so many times. I'm not saying it's going to every time, but but you're what I'm saying is that the right tool for the job is in theory never going to break the component. Ooh. Well, okay, yes. Under the right, you know, operation, absolutely, right? I'm just saying like I guess maybe they are the wrong tools, but you can still get the job done. I, I like where you're at. You're 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 going about this with the rebel side, like, mm, well, you know, I don't have the right tool, but it got the job done, so I'm happy. Yeah, dude. Like, <laughs> and I agree. Sometimes- I agree. I agree with you because a, a lot of times, like, there are times when you're working on something, and you know, you you are you maybe even have like some sort of a. Um, you know, instructions that to follow. And so it says, you know, use this, use this, use this, but then you like, you have to adapt or, or improvise and be like, Hey, this tool, while it is the right tool is, you know, it's not quite cutting the cutting it. So I need to, you know, use something else. And, and you may know of a tool that can do that. And so, um, you know, you, sometimes you improvise a little bit. And so I understand what you're saying, or I understand the angle you're coming at. Yeah. Good. Cool. So we've definitely, I've definitely been there. I know I've, uh, <laughs> you know, taken apart like this screws on the bottom of a computer and I'm like, uh, yeah, this is definitely the wrong screwdriver, but it's turned in the screws. So I'm just going to keep going. Anyway, I thought that was something that <laughs> from, from my wee young days, I should point out. But, um, so what's the weirdest repair story, uh, Adam has up his sleeve? So the weirdest one is, is actually not a computer that I was working on, but, um, a colleague was working on at the time. And, this computer, I forgot what we were doing to it, but it's kind of, I mean, oh man, there's probably a subreddit out there of like repair horror stories and they're probably amazing. And this one might not top it, but I just remember it, it was a laptop computer and, you know, we, we were just talking, you know, and kind of chatted up while, you know, this colleague was taking apart the computer and then 
they open up the computer and this just explosion of bugs comes out of the computer just roaches just you know like the tiny cockroaches like the gross cockroaches just a whole bunch of them like at least 10 or 20 just like start crawling out of this computer like and skittering everywhere that they can right because like oh my god it's light here like i need to get out of here we're like we he kind of drops it at what he's doing he's like oh my god oh my god and all these things kind of go running everywhere so that was um that was definitely the weirdest, you know, repair story that I've I've had is just I, I've never seen, you know, living things come out of the computer once you take apart, you know. <laughs> it's like step one, remove the cover. And you remove the cover, and it's like, well, put the cover back on. Step one is done. <laughs> like we don't need to do anything more. And Yeah, that that's uh man, that, that just makes my skin crawl. Well, yeah, it makes your skin crawl now, but I mean, think about this, is like after you put that computer back together. Like, let's say you're still, you know, on the clock, right? Or you're still on the job. Like, you have to repair more computers. And, like, then you have to wonder the rest of the time if you got all the bugs, right? And any little thing that you feel, you're like, oh, oh is that a bug? <laughs> where's, where's the bug? Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. I don't know that mine really tops that at all. Um, I have worked on a computer that had intense smoke damage. Um, you know, just some person that sits there and just probably smokes like multiple packs a day. Um, and to the point where, you know, part of, part of that process was just trying to clean the the computer so that I could, you know, touch it. And, um, you know, I was working on it with, with gloves and, and I mean, just using like isopropyl like wipes to just like wipe down surfaces of the outside of uh, the outside of the computer. And, they just literally could wipe the computer and just the isopropyl wipe would just turn thick yellow, you know, just as soon as you just touched it to the computer. Oh, it was, uh, just, just layers and layers. I mean, I, I think I went through just, you know, probably 30 or 40 wipes just trying to get the thing to be semi clean. And even then it still had, you know, the, the hue of it and it was just innoxious to like work on. It's like, secondhand smoke from the computer you know that's no one's smoking around you but the computer itself is already smoking yeah it is so like my computer's smoking it's like are you sure it's smoking sir are you sure that's not like your smoke that you're smoking into the computer yeah oh man you know what would be funny is like i I can just picture this now is staging like a, a photo where it's like this scumbag computer you know it has a cigarette and you put it near the intake you know vent and then you light it and then, you know, run the fans on high, you know, so the intake goes and it starts smoking the cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then it exhausts out the top, right? The smoke, like, wouldn't that be cool? That'd be awesome. Someone stage that. I want a gif of, like, scumbag computer just, like, blowing smoke in someone's face. That'd be funny. Uh, that that would be pretty funny, I have to say. All right, so I think we've thoroughly covered some of... uh the the oopsies and the uh you know odd ones we've repaired over the years but uh what a what, adam you've you've definitely done this i i should just get right out of the way and say i have never built my own computer um so but you have so what have you built and i assume for gaming purposes mostly but what what have you built before so i i actually never built a a gaming pc never did that um, the computers I built were mainly for just like home servers. That's, that's what I built them for. So 
you know, when when I got my first computer, it was a, a pre-built machine, and I would upgrade it. You know, I would put new components in it. You know, that's kind of where you get kind of the taste of like, oh, you know, like I upgrade my hard drive or I upgrade the video card in the computer. You know, two years down the road, and hey, the computer's like brand new. It's like you know, I would kind of like to make my own computer from scratch. You know, I think that would be fun. You can kind of like plan out what case you want to use, what, you know, hard drive you want to use, what this and what that, and you can swap these things out as you go, right? And the theory would be like, start with the base of something and be able to expand on that as much as you can, as long as that, you know, base is relevant. So as far as like me building computers, I like I said, I built them, you know, just for being a home server. That was like the first one I actually like really built from the ground up. So I had used like this Dell computer that I had had, you know, for the longest time and I would put Linux on it. I would do all sorts of stuff. And then finally I was like, you know what, I'm just going to build my own. So I researched a case and I got a case and I, you know, researched motherboards, got motherboards, got a processor, got everything, put it all together. And, you know, then basically use that as my server. And then two years later, I was like, you know what, this case is really big and obnoxious. I'm going to see if I can downsize that into like a rack mountable model. And, you know, I had this dream of like setting up like a two post rack, like in a closet in our house, like to run like all of the communications and networking and have a couple servers there and, you know, run a bunch of stuff. So I was like, let me do a rack mount. So I put everything in a rack mount case and um, did all of that. So yeah, like I, I actually really miss doing that. And I still have um, both of those like cases. Like I still have the computer in the rack mount case and I still have the original case it came in. So, you know, the Raspberry Pi is is awesome because you take like this really tiny, like self-contained computer. But I've actually, you know, thought of trying to build a computer again from scratch, right? This one would be for the purpose of gaming, right? It's like, hey, like if I was going to do any form of like gaming or if I wanted to, you know, do gaming on the side and like stream on Twitch or do anything like that. Like I would need a decently powered, you know, gaming machine and it would probably have to be windows because most games only run on windows these days because, you know, that's where the market is. So I, I've thought about doing that again. And like now you can get really exciting too, because, you know, processor architectures have changed, right. And you have AMD kind of coming up in, in the field and now liquid cooling has kind of like tapered off, you know, more people are kind of like, off the liquid cooling game because when I was building computers, that was like the new hotness and then you'd have coolant leaks and we never talked about water and electronics, but obviously those two don't mix very well. So when you talk about, you know, water cooling a computer with all these electronic components, like uh, things can go wrong pretty quickly. But yeah, I've, I've toyed with the idea of building a computer again. And for me, it was just a really good, like from the ground up, like learning to design something, learning to make sure that you get all the right parts and then going through the pains of putting it all together and then getting it all to work, right? Because I can tell you the the biggest headache for me when I put together a computer was finding the goddamn Ethernet driver to work with CentOS for the Ethernet, you know, that was on the motherboard that I had. Like, I could get Wi-Fi to work. I could get everything else to work. I could get, like, USB Ethernet to work, but the stupid Ethernet controller was not packaged for Red Hat. So I had to find some guy who had like repackaged the driver and oh, that was just a, the biggest nightmare ever. But it's fun, Lou. I definitely recommend you do it because like I said, it's just, I know you've taken apart computers, right? You've taken everything down like and put it all back together. But planning your own computer is is a really fun 
like project. I mean, and you don't have to do anything expensive too. Like you could take $300 and say like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, like build my own little mini PC. Right. And you could find a small motherboard and processor and put everything together and figure out the cooling and figure out the Ram and figure out, you know, hard drive and get a case and put it all together. And it's, I don't know. It was really satisfying for me. So you just definitely do it. Yeah. It's definitely something that I, I guess I would say is a bucket list item to do. I think it's a good like exercise that I, I should try to do at some point. I, I'm not, you know, committed to a certain time frame on that, but it is something that I don't want to, you know, wait another 10 years to try that. I definitely want to do that at some point in the next couple of years, just say, Hey, I've done it. You know, I understand what that's like. And, um, I think part of the fun of it is going to be the planning of it and being strategic and having the opportunity to go through the entire build exercise. And then, you know, like you said, there, there is always the fun of just kind of, you know, loading all your software and everything, just getting everything going. It is a, uh, I think a process, but, but a good one. See kids, learn some stuff, build a computer. You might not ever need to do it, you know, in your job, but hey, do it. It's it's a lot of fun. Said like a true dad. Said like a true dad. Hey, man, like my kids are going to know how to change their own oil and cars and stuff like that. And they probably won't even have to drive. <laughs> See, kids, back in my day, we had to change the oil and these things. We had to rotate our own tires. You didn't just press a button and it go off to some magic robot that did everything for you. You guys have a have a good. We made all these robots to make your life easier. I had to walk uphill both ways to school, didn't you? In the snow. Uphill. Both ways. Uh, so what's this about a uh, Dell clamshell desktop? So What that you uh, dropped in here? Yeah, so the first computer I bought was a Dell. And, you know, most of the time when you think of, like, opening a computer, you think of, like, okay, well, so I take some screws off and then... I, you know, slide this computer or slide this cover off and then boom, everything's there. So the first Dell that I had was this model where they, it, the whole display case itself was like a clamshell to where there was like um, a, a, just a thumb screw basically that you would take off the back that was a, a locking mechanism. And there were two buttons that you would press. And then once you press these buttons, like the entire like rear of the the uh, computer just opened into two halves, right? So you would basically open it like you would a laptop. So if I was to set the thing down with, you know, the rear, you know, fan and ports facing me and I press these two buttons and I open it almost like I'm opening like a treasure chest, right? Or like a laptop computer, like I would open it and this thing would open 90 degrees and like give you access to all of the internals. And this was like Dell's like big thing at the time where it's like they wanted to make things like easy to work on and easy to repair. And that was just kind of like the era, you know, that they were going through. So you would open this thing up and most of the stuff wasn't held in by screws. It was held in by these like plastic molded like spring trays. So I remember I bought like a CD burner and I bought it from Dell. So when the CD burner came, it it came in, you had like the 5.25 inch, you know, like CD drive, like there it is, you know, and it's got a, an ATA, you know, like plug on the back of it. And Basically what it would be is like it had these big green like sliders on the on the side and you would just like kind of open the case up, you know, just so you could do it and you'd slide it in and it'd lock into place and you'd plug the cable in the back and you were done. So it was like no screws, no this, no that. It was like the age of things like being super, super easy to to repair and to work on. Like 
they almost made it toolless, right? Like you, you remove the thumb screw and then you, you know, slid something in, you know, that had a locking mechanism on it. So when we talked about, you know, DIY or computer repair, you know, this was, you know, one thing that always stuck out, stuck out to me is like my first repair experience on a computer required zero tools. Like if I needed to replace a hard drive, if I needed to replace an optical drive, there was, you know, a 90% probability that required zero tools. So I know you have kind of another topic that we'll talk about, like probably next is how things have kind of gone from encouraging people to open them or encouraging people to, you know, work in their computers and do stuff to like, Hey, just don't look behind the box, you know, like don't look behind the curtain. I'm not going to use the uh, same analogy that I used last week or the week before because you called me out on it. I was like, don't worry about that. Like we got this, you know, just worry about getting the computer that you want. But I think it's, it's funny how things have moved that way. And I'll always remember my first computer just being super easy to work on and not requiring any tools. And I miss those days, Lou. I miss them a lot. Yeah, you're you're starting to sound like the uh, old man that wants to work on his car, you know. Dude, I hit 31 and like everything started going downhill, right? They say like after 30, you know, things start going downhill. Like, dude, 31 is rough, man. Like, I've seen some shit now, you know, like... I am the grizzly old man because I've seen stuff. You just wait, you know, in another couple of years, you'll be here too. And then you'll be saying the same thing. And I'll be like, Hey, remember like when I was saying these things, I got over them. Yeah. I do have to say, I mean, things are definitely getting more complicated. That is there. There is no doubt in my mind about that. And, um, you know, it, I think it's pretty easy to agree that, yeah, things are hard to repair today and they, most manufacturers just don't want you to repair it things you know um not not that they can't be repaired but they don't want you in repairing them um they they make it significantly more complicated and that's a function of i think multiple things one just they don't want you in there and two you know we're always striving to make it smaller lighter faster you know all those things and that that has driven you know design decisions to you know kind of push the boundaries of everything we want out of a computer today but it comes with trade-offs and for you know the the hobbyists in in both you and i it's uh you know an area that is frustrating at times yeah that's true but i know you kind of put this in here is like so do you feel like we'll always have the ability to open and repair our own our own things or do you think this whole diy section do you think it's going away completely so i know you said like yeah you know you can take it to a place to have it repaired but do you think that the do-it-yourself repair is going away well it's a really kind of pointed question because will it be gone forever i don't know that i can say that i um i don't i don't think that is the case at the moment it looks pretty bleak um unless something major comes along that, that, you know, uh, changes that. And I know you, you dropped in, uh, you know, something about the legislation that's kind of going around the country at the moment, the, the right to repair legislation that I know multiple, I think states are, are looking at, um, which would allow, you know, users to repair, I think it's phones primarily, but, um, 
you know, it's it's something if that if that were to pass and laws were to be enacted, then things you know might forcibly change. But as I look at it now, if that law does not pass and and we are where we are today, and and where are we going to be in five or ten years? I, I think DIY is sort of behind us in the realm of technology. Yeah. So. I know they're always going to be hobbyists, right? Which is why they have like these markets. And it's kind of funny. We mentioned, you know, like Raspberry Pi and we mentioned, you know, Arduino and we mentioned, you know, the DIY kind of like computer cases that are out there, right? Is there are things that are, if you want to build a computer, you know, that is repairable, things like that, like you definitely can. But when you're buying something from manufacturers now and now, I think I absolutely agree with you that it's getting harder and harder to, buy something from somebody and have the expectation that you're going to be able to repair this device on your own down the road. Um, Whether that be some proprietary part holding you back, some proprietary, you know, locking mechanism or screw or whatever it is, you know, you see more and more people doing this. So I don't know if you've been to iFixit, you know, like we mentioned iFixit and it's a great resource if you want to, you know, repair your own things because they have very detailed guides and, you know, they give a repairability score to everything that they tear down. And I was just looking today at like the, uh, the Samsung galaxy teardowns and you know how it's funny when smartphones first came out, right. It was like, all right, so you remove these screws and you, you know, use the suction cup and boom, you're in everything. And that's like, all right. So we took this heat gun and replied heat for, you know, 10 minutes, or we took all these, you know, bags filled with rice and, you know, heated them up so you could, you know, loosen up all the adhesive to pull everything off. So, but if you go to iFixit, they actually have like, you know, because California would be one of the first states to pass like a right to repair legislation or a fair repair act. So if you go there, like you can actually, you know, fill out and, you know, write the uh, an official from California to say like, hey, support this, like this is something we want, which would be, you know, the right to repair your own product, you know, like not have you locked out of doing something. So I think, like you said, it's getting harder, but I think we're going to have this like kind of pull back and forth, right? to not have to force people to go to an authorized center, right? Like you think of BMWs, right? BMWs are hard to repair because they have all these German engineered tools that you have to use to, you know, like take off the oil cap or whatever it is. And, you know, tech companies like computers, smartphones are kind of going the same way, but there are times and I can say, you know, more than once where I've repaired something, you know, on a car that I did myself that a shop had quoted me, you know, four times the amount to do. And I was able to do it myself with the right tools and the the right instructions. And if there was some proprietary thing in a way that would have prevented me from doing that, I would have been pretty upset. So I'll include this link to CaliforniaRepair.org and, uh, or California.Repair.org if you want to say URLs correctly, which I definitely do. Uh, but I'll include that in there. So if you are in California, you can support this. I think it's um there's a very big distinction from what you just said I think where you said you were able to you know buy a part and do a repair on your car and to do it properly and the concern I think that that comes up a lot is doing something properly versus doing it because um you know I mean you can for example I mean a lot of electronics like cell phones today are are um, water resistant or waterproof to a certain degree, but um, you know, just because you can buy a new screen on the internet for your your iPhone or your Samsung or whatever you have, doesn't mean you have the proper t- 
tools to do, you know, the, and to bring the, the workmanship back to where it was. And two, like, if you, you know, the, these repair centers that we send our electronics to, these guys do this stuff all day long. And I mean, you, you and I both know that like, hey, if, if you're doing something all day long, you're probably a lot better at, you know, you know, you or I, who's going to do it once, you know what I mean? It's just our, we, we get a one go and if we mess it up, we mess it up. And, um, so it's something that I think there are advantages to both sides. Um, and it's something that, um, I, I kind of also cringe a little bit that if we're leaving this up to legislators, I understand it has to be kind of left up to them to a degree, but you know, let's just say they're not the most technically inclined. Well, but so I mean, looking looking at this, you know, from a legislative standpoint, right? That we have this for cars, right? Where you go to any shop, and the shop has to have the same diagnostic tools that a dealer has. So there's no like competitive advantage to getting your your car back to the way it needs to be, or having the same tools available to you that are available to everyone else. So that should be, you know, a right for someone. And like you mentioned, like yeah, okay, can they get it back into a warrantyable state? It's like, well the whole reason you may want to have the right to repair your stuff would be because you're outside of the warranty, right? I'm all for saying like, Hey, if it's in warranty, go take it to the professionals, go take it to the people where you bought it. Right. Because they should be the ones to make sure that you get a a product that's going to last, you know, for the same amount of time. But when you talk about getting the job right or getting it done yourself, you should have all the tools and that's what the right is, right? No one's arguing that like, Hey, you should have, you know, all of this or all of that. It's like, we should just have the tools to get the job done right. And as long as we have those, like, I think that's a pretty simple, simple request. And I would love, you know, that to be written down where companies can't basically lock you out of a device that you buy that you now own because you bought it from somebody because they put some proprietary thing in there and they didn't want anyone else touching it. Like, I, I don't think that's, that's the way to do business, you know? Yeah, it, it definitely seems a little slimy. So I, I understand that argument. And it's something that, I think it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Um, you know, I, I don't know that this is something that will be all hashed out in, you know, just a year from now, even it's something that I think this is something we're going to see the landscape change over the next, you know, probably five years or so. And, and we'll see, um, you know, if, if the public can really repair their own devices or, and not to mention, I don't, you know, how many know how many people are going to enact this, even if it does pass. You know, I mean, just because it's there doesn't mean, you know, you're going to say, "Hey, I want to buy the parts and do it myself." I mean, but this isn't just for a consumer. This is also for like a shop, right, or a third party, right? The third party should also have access to it too. So, even if, even if you know, that person is not going to do the repair themselves. They could still at least go to somebody, you know, who knows about this and that person should be able to get the tools, right? You don't want to cut, you know, a third party out of the the loop or someone who would be able to do the job for cheaper, right? You don't want to have to always go back to a manufacturer to get parts and to, you know, get service done because if you've ever owned a car and, you know, gotten a, a quote from a dealer and a quote from, you know, a local mechanic, you know that they're vastly different. And yes, the service that they perform is different in some aspects, right? Like the dealer's like, oh, well, we use dealer parts, but you can request dealer parts at, you know, a local mechanic too, right? You can have all that stuff done. The only difference is that the dealer will offer some form of warranty, right? Because they're bigger and they can do that, but there shouldn't be anything 
preventing a local shop from doing the same work that a dealer can do. And I think that's the argument, right? It's not that, yes, like as a consumer, we should totally have access to the things. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not part of it, but the other part is also third parties, they should also have, you know, the right to the same tools and the same parts that a manufacturer has. So that way, you know, they can also perform a repair and they might not charge as much of a premium as like, let's say the manufacturer would, but it just gives people options. We all know options are great. Options are the best thing. So just make sure that, you know, you have options. And I think that's what this, uh, this whole right to repair and the spare repair act is, is basically shooting for. Okay. That's fair. I, I, I can see the, uh, the benefit to that. So I'm, I'm in agreement with you. So is there anything else you want to say before we, uh, move on to some wrap up? I'll give you the opportunity. Hey, where do you usually get your repair manuals? I'm curious for stuff that you do repair. It, honestly, like, I, I mean, if it's electronics, um, you know, especially like cell phones, I mean, I'm going to use like iFixit you mentioned, but, um, if it's outside of that, um, I, I honestly don't have like a one stop shop resource. So it's like Google around. Hopefully I can find an up-to-date manual from the manufacturer. Um, but sometimes manufacturers don't publish them. So it's like, yeah, you got to go elsewhere. YouTube, man. That's where it's at. Yeah, man. YouTube is uh, pretty crazy. Like I've learned how to work on my car in a lot of ways <laughs> from YouTube. It's, uh, you know, the, the, you know, I mean, I like I bought my car in 2012 and <clears throat> the, the one thing you learn how to do, you know, like the the funny thing that I learned how to do like right away is like, you know, hey, air filter, you know, they, they always tell you, you know, hey, oh, it's like it's been 30,000 miles. You need to change your air filter on your in your car and you're like going to roll your eyes because they're going to tell you it's like 50 bucks to change the air filter when it's like a five dollar part and you know it's pretty easy to put in. So, so yeah, what do you do? You pop open YouTube and you're like, how, where the hell is the air filter in this thing? And how do I change it real quick? And sure enough, you find it, you know, the cabin air filter and the engine air filter. I mean, they're, they're all pretty easy to get to. Um, but yeah, YouTube is win-win for sure. That's going to be the repair manual of the future. It's interactive YouTube. Yeah. And everybody documents everything. It's nuts. It's really cool. Yeah. I want like so. hands-free, right? So like YouTube's playing and then it can be like, Step one, do this. And then when I'm done with step one, I was like, cool, step two, please. And then it, you know, shows me step two. You're going to have the YouTube like VR headset. So you can just <laughs> like. No, not VR. If I'm going to do repair, I want AR, right? Don't you remember Iron Man? That was the movie you watched in January where he's like, show me explosive view and he's working on the hot rod. Or, or you want like, um, you want like MR, what they call it, the mixed reality where it's like a video feed overlaid over your. It's kind of like augmented reality, I think, but there's 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 some tiny changes to it. So. Yeah, mixed reality where know. it is anyway. yes, w- interacting with what you have. You remember that in Iron Man, right? Where he's working on the car? Yeah. Yeah. Like that right there? Like, perfect, right? Show me explosive view, and he gets like an entire view of the inside of this, you know, cylinder, this engine block that he's working on. And I was like, well, that's awesome. Like, how do I get that? <laughs> Why isn't that now? This movie was made in 2008. What the fuck is wrong with technology these days? <laughs> <laughs> like, what have these fuckers been doing for the last, like... <laughs> I mean, they put it in Iron Man. <laughs> if they had enough, you know, power to do the CG stuff, that means that, you know, it can probably be done in, like, two days, right? <laughs> God damn it. Just get on it, guys. <laughs> Man, if a fictional character uh, can do it, like, I, I want it, you know? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think that about does it for some uh, DIY uh, 
and uh, computer repair horror stories. But uh, in a little bit of wrap up, I think the funniest part of wrap up so far is that the first point you have in wrap up is uh, that you need to upgrade your RAM on your uh, new iMac. So yep. <laughs> you're going to perform some DIY. Yep, exactly. And I know we talked about this when I got my iMac too, is like, Hey, how much RAM did you put in? I was like, I like the base. Like I didn't, I didn't go crazy because I do at least with this, you know, model of computer with this iMac, I would be able to upgrade the RAM on it. So with, uh, with the announcement of Twitch prime games and me now having to run, you know, windows in my VM just to like try to play games. I know that's not the most efficient way to play games, but like I said, I'm not going to go out and build a gaming PC right now. And I'm not going to configure my Mac to dual boot because other people have to use it. And I don't want to have to reboot every time I want to play games. That's just me. So virtualization is the, the next best thing or, you know, the most convenient thing for me. So I booted up the, uh, the windows 10 VM that I have and it's been years or not years, but at least a year since I've, you know, launched it. And I quickly watched my memory pressure jump from, you know, basically nothing to, Oh, Hey, you know, we, we're, we're, we're running pretty hard right now. (laughs) So it only has eight gigs in it right now. And I need to put probably at least 16 or 32 in it. So I don't know. We'll see. I haven't spec'd out prices and that's the only thing that would kind of like turn me off is like if it's just horribly expensive to upgrade to 32, but if it's sub, you know, 150, like I'll do it. Oh man. I don't know. You're going to have to get back to me on that because I'd be surprised if it's sub 150 yet, but we'll see. I I wish you the best because I mean, 32 sounds dreamy. Don't get me wrong. That's a, uh, that's a really nice land to live in, I think. Well, but I'm still running on a freaking spinning disc. I already have like buyer's remorse for getting this, you know, with the fusion drive. Cause I was like, ah, I, I just don't, I don't want a spinning drive. I just, I don't want it. Yeah. Yeah. No spinning drives. Those are painful, man. Like it, it's, and the, the problem is, I mean, like, you know, SSD is, is it's, it's a magical area, but I think you and I both know it's like, there's still pretty expensive to get you know like i mean this is your your like family machine so it's not like you're gonna spec it out with like a 500 gig i doubt you know you're gonna probably get a terabyte or two terabyte and those are ridiculously expensive still yeah yeah terabyte ssd was i I think you know a 700 dollar upgrade or something like that it was something stupid but i may at some point like you know, when SSDs, you know, become cheaper, I may just finally tear it open and throw an SSD in it just because I don't, I'll get that spinning drive out of there. And then I'll have, you know, the PCI uh, SSD, I'll have that one. And then I'll have, you know, the data drive, which will also be SSD. So, ah, someday. So real time follow-up is I just looked up like what a 32 gig Ram kit would cost. And yeah, it's about $300. <laughs> so nope, that ain't happening. Yeah, I, I told you. I was like, eh, I don't know, because I was looking at this week uh, RAM for the Mac Mini, and um, yeah, it's like even just to go to an eight gig kit for my Mac Mini was like uh, ninety bucks. I was like two four gig sticks, ninety bucks. Ugh. Still, you know, painfully like oh, I don't. I, I why am I spending ninety bucks on this ma- machine? It's like. Five hundred dollars. I guess that that was the thing is like I would never upgrade RAM until like the machine was like slow, painfully slow. So this may just you know like three hundred bucks. Like oh, I'll have to see what kind of a gaming PC I can make for three hundred bucks. 
And there's the thing too, is like even making gaming PCs now is just going to be like obsolete in the future. Cause once they figure out the, you know, how to eliminate the latency for cloud gaming, it's going to be like, cool. Like just run all these games on a freaking server farm and just pipe me, you know, the, uh, the screen as fast as you can. And as long as I can get my controller input down to, you know, minimal latency, then that's good enough for me, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's, uh, I didn't even like thought about, you know, cloud gaming, but that, that is a, like a rosy future. If I ever saw one, man, they had, um, I forgot what the app was called or what the service was called, but they had one for iOS where it was like, you could play full blown PC games on iOS, you know, because they were, running the games on, you know, these server instances in the cloud. And they were just, you know, basically sending the screen to you as fast as they could. And they would, you know, just like down res the screen, you know, just to easily package it over, over the web. So basically you were just watching like a video stream of this other computer in this data center running this game and you were just sending inputs and, they had it and it kind of worked, you know, and it was a way to play like full blown PC games from an iPad and like the very first generation iPads, right. That didn't have like any specs, no, no specs to be running like the games that they're running. Um, so eh, we'll see. I know there's been a couple like services that have popped up, you know, recently too, that have, you know, claimed that they figured out the latency issue and figured out a way to do this. But I think it'll be a while before it's like, Hey, here's a $10 a month, you know, subscription to access all of these games from anywhere on any computer. And it doesn't matter, you know, what computer, like you could be on a freaking Chromebook and it, sh- it would be enough to, uh, to do this. Or you could be on, you know, like a netbook from 2005. And as long as it had a fast enough internet connection, you'd be able to do it. So we'll see. I'll have to take a look at it again. But in the meantime, 350 is still the cheapest way for me to, you know, play Twitch games. But uh, maybe I'll boot camp because it has eight gigs and I could use the full eight gigs if I want to. I don't know. So conflicted. It's just like added 800 things to my to-do list now. Question. Uh, what version of the OS are you on? Which OS? Uh, the the Mac. Uh, I'm running the, the latest, I believe. Why? Um, so does, okay. I think you're, I think you're safe then. Cause I was gonna say, I, I just read an article not that long ago about, uh, um, the Apple's like the APFS the file system doesn't support bootcamp anymore on um when, once the drives converted to the APFS, but uh, I'm pretty sure the because you have the um Fusion yeah, Drive thing this where this one's not running it's, APFS. It's, yeah, so I think it'll be good then. It's fine, dude. I'd rather run on like an external drive to be honest. Like, keep away from me. You know, like USB three is is fast enough and. I don't know, especially when most of what you're doing is all in memory and video memory. Like I could care less or I couldn't care less if, you know, it was slower on read speeds and write speeds or whatever. Like I could get a 64 gig SSD, you know, and just run everything off of that if I really, really felt like I needed to. Yeah, that might not be a bad idea. But I I know I'd have to do some probably hackery to get it to work with with bootcamp if I wanted to. But eh, like I said, this is all adding, you know, more stuff for me to do, and I don't need more stuff for me to do. So, <laughs> another day. Yeah. Uh, so you bought another goof board, I see too. Yeah. So I've been having lots of fun goofing around on the goof board at work. So that one, I've kind of, you know, just gotten into the habit of like twice a day, just at my desk, basically, you know, like 
stand on the thing and kind of goof around, you know, like kind of on like lunch break type thing, right? Like while you're eating or drinking or whatever, you know, just eating my lunch and standing on the goof board, just kind of messing around. And it's, it's been nice, like, especially helping with my balance and um, you kind of feel it, you know, work on your kind of like your calves and your ankles and stuff, because that's what I mainly used to balance. But I, I had, you know, made a task for myself to, you know, look at it again for my birthday, you know, present to myself. And I bought another one. So I bought the the classic one, which is kind of like the longer board uh, for home. So I got it in the Plumeria color. So it's a nice purple one. And I got it for home and it arrived on, what was it? Thursday. So I got a Thursday, set it up and the kids have been having a good time hopping on it, you know, with me and trying to learn to balance on their own. So it's been lots of fun. So just like kind of like, I guess this should have been follow up, but it's kind of more wrap up. But just Adam has now two goof boards, one for work, one for home. And that's the one thing I've thrown money at. And like I said, it was a birthday present to me. So oh, very uh, goof board success story. There it is, right? They can feature me on their on their webpage. It's like, I love Goofboard. I bought a, one for home. I bought one for the kids. I bought all the Goofboards. I mean, in all honesty, it's it's tons of fun. Like, if anyone is looking for, like, any form of just balance, you know, training, or they have tons of these things out there, right? Like, there's been ones on Shark Tank. There's been all these other ones. But if you're into, you know, like, surfing or you've never learned to surf or you've surfed and you kind of want to, you know, have some form of like surfing simulation, you know, at your desk or at home or, you know, I, I know people who live in like in places where it snows or rains and they can't go surfing, you know, all the time, but they came from places where, you know, they were at the beach all the time. They'll use these as kind of like a way to, to kind of get a feel for a board again. But yeah, it's, it's just, it's a lot of fun and it's a decent like training for your balance and, it wasn't all that expensive when you look at it compared to like gym equipment or gym memberships or like cycle bar memberships, Lou. So I can turn on a movie and like just hang out on the goof board and watch the movie at the same time. Like, dude, that's like the perfect lazy surfer way to do things. <laughs> uh, I, I'm still not sold on them, but uh, I, I might have to check check it out a little bit, I guess, if I uh, come visit. There you go. Uh, that'll be funny. Take video of that. All right. Well, I uh, think that does it for us this week. Uh, don't forget to check us out uh, at the website, creativegeniuscast.com. And uh, do continue to rate us on Apple Podcasts and hit the recommend button in Overcast. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Yeah, I'm totally leaving that in. Yeah, I figured. Okay. <laughs> this episode was awkward. It was uh, It was interesting. You actually, it's funny because at different points, you totally kind of like led us to the next point or you transitioned, which was kind of funny. It was cool for me because I got to see you like transition us to like the next topic and usually you don't do it. So lonely. Did you watch the Orgy for One video, by the way? The what? The Orgy for One video. I don't know what you're talking about right now, so I'm guessing no. What do you mean? I sent you the link last time, the orgy for one, how I said the chat room felt because, you know, no one's in it. Ninja sex party, orgy for one.
Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Did you watch the video? uh, Yes. You remember the video? Orgy for one? Yes. Okay. Yes. I just didn't associate it with the the term orgy for one. I associated it with Ninja Sex Party. So that's what stood out in my mind. And so when you said Ninja Sex Party, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, Ninja Sex Party. I remember that now. 